we acknowledge and hold in our heart the traditional owners of this land, the Wadjuk tribe of the Noongar people. Uh, we meditate on their land and perform our rituals there. This, uh, the, the case for today's uh, Teisho comes from uh, Radiant Vehicle, a collection of Western Koans, uh, Case 7, uh, Tony Coote's Kokoda Koan. Tony Coote wrote, An old school friend of mine was walking the Kokoda track with friends. One night they camped along the track and my friend woke up hearing someone calling out, Save me, Bill. The next morning they found spent rounds of spent ammunition on the ground at the campsite and later still discovered that this was a place where Australians had been killed during the march across the mountains and along the track. Can you save that ghost? When we are in Tazenkai, uh, we are present to the fullness of the moment. Uh, the moment includes the celebration uh, itself. Uh, when you sit in, you are unfussed by such matters. Our heart is open, uh, everything is allowed. Uh, to be there. Uh, this is not only the vastness itself, but also the vexations and frustrations uh, that arise. All uh, have their home. Our only responsibility is to be present uh, to them. Your only job is to stay with what is, uh, with breath, with calm, with the fullness of the moment. Uh, it's important to go gently, uh, simply returning without fuss and without beating yourself up. In uh, that way, uh, we deepen. Uh, it's like the weather itself. Full sunlight, shadow, sunlight again, the rustling leaves. An old teacher said, practice like the seasons, just like the coming and going of the seasons. Ah, lost, lost again. With that sense that you are lost, you are already home. Uh, the koan uh, for this afternoon was told to me by Tony Coote of the Sydney Zen Centre, uh, which since 1984 uh, he was the designer of that uh, and in a, a massive Sangha effort uh, did the building of that uh, Zendo at Gorex Run. 
Um, it's truly a beautiful building, a great building to sit in, and a wonderful example of sangha uh, barn raising, to use the, the US expression, everyone getting together to build a zendo. Uh, Tony's wife, Julie Coote, is a senior teacher in our Diamond Sangha tradition. Um, she's been really heavily involved in bush regeneration. Both Tony and Julie are dear and long-term friends of mine and people who've made a long and selfless, selfless commitment to Zen uh, in Australia. Uh, I treasure uh, Tony Coote's haiku, which goes... I piss in the bowl and return to the ocean. There's the flavour of Australian Zen in that. In terms of the Kokoda Trail and the story itself, um, while it's common to think of the Gallipoli campaign of World War I as Australia's first military test as a new nation. Um, the fighting um, during the Kokoda campaign represents the first time in our history uh, that Australian security was directly threatened. At that time, there was a very real belief within Australia that a Japanese invasion was possible. And as such, the Kokoda campaign has come to be viewed as, uh, by some as that battle that saved Australia. I remember my mother telling the story, which reflects that fear that uh, the newspapers were saying, um, if they are coming, they will be here by Monday. Uh, luckily, Monday arrived uh, and everything was okay. In the third of the three pure precepts, which we take up with Jukai, uh, we vow to save uh, the many beings. In the four great bodhisattvas' vows we chant, though the many beings are numberless, I vow to save them. What do we mean by saving? This relates to the ghost calling out, save me, Bill. Uh, saving as inclusion. in the most basic way, including the many beings in our mind and our heart. Um, you know, simple mealtime ceremonies um, we are mindful, uh, we remember how this food came to us. Uh, and this is the work of many beings, that sense of inclusion. We're aware of all of the people that contribute uh, to that meal. And uh, in a very natural thing, we are able to include, as we become aware of that, uh, those people. Augusto Alcardi, um, in response to the four great vows, he says, I vow to open myself and allow myself to be saved by the many beings. This is that wonderful, uh, vast negative capability. Um, the heart is open, um, everything 
is available. This points in turn to something deeper, more intimate. You experience the other as no other than you yourself. And they experience you as them. Uh, Here the mutuality of saving uh, is in full play. This is saving as intimacy with all beings. When you realise that, uh, calling out and answering are completely intimate. This is the intimacy of the call. Save me, Bill, which gathers us all in. In the deepest sense, we are already saved. We are already included. We are already intimate. And yet, as bodhisattvas, we must pitch in and give a hand. We must get our hands dirty. In the vast, uh, in the sense of vastness, in the vastness of no self, it is like that. And yet uh, that has to be given an active role. It is said that uh, Kuan Yin uh, is the archetype uh, of compassion, sometimes described as sound that fills the world, uh, all sound uh, gathered uh, as her. Uh, she hears the sound of the world, and yet she weeps because she cannot respond individually to each of them. Even when you are completely intimate, um, there is still a matter of response. How do you respond? How do you reach out? In this case, can we give hands and feet to the dead and walk them into places that they never dreamed? Uh, Intimacy with our life and the lives of others brings equanimity. This is the ability to be in some measure present to our suffering and to be with others in their suffering. So intimacy is also commonality, uh, mutuality with others. Uh, We all suffer. We are all transient. Suffering is inevitable. It's built into the human condition. Which doesn't mean that we can't get rid of some of the unnecessary stuff arising from trying to do too much, for example, and then getting really crabby because we couldn't get 17 things done before breakfast. 
Socrates wrote somewhere that I hope you avoid the barrenness of an over-busy life. Uh, truly we waste our substance when we set our goals uh, impossibly high and then uh, make ourselves and other people miserable when we can't uh, somehow accomplish the, it all. There's a great article in um, The Lion's Roar, the magazine The Lion's Roar, called Suffering Opens the Real Path. It's by Norman Fisher. Uh, and uh, he says the most astonishing fact of human life is that most of us think it's impossible to minimise and even eliminate suffering. We actually think this, which is one reason why it's so difficult for us when we're suffering. We think, this shouldn't be this way, or I'm trying to get rid of this somehow. I think many of us believe that since suffering is so bad and so unpleasant, if we were really good and really smart, it wouldn't arise in the first place. Uh, somehow, suffering is our own fault. If it's not our fault, then it's definitely someone else's fault. But when suffering arises, uh, we think we should be able to avoid it. We should be able to set it to one side and not dwell on it. We should move on, as they say, go on to positive things, do a little Buddhism, meditate, uh, get round the suffering and go forward. We believe that if we only play our cards right, we could have a positive life without much suffering. We constantly come back to that way of thinking. But the idea that suffering is some sort of mistake and a minor problem that we could overcome with a little bit of meditation and a positive attitude is the towering pinnacle of human self-deception. wonderful line the more we look around us the more we pay attention to what we're feeling and what others around us are feeling the more suffering we see anxiety is suffering and there's a lot of anxiety not getting what you want is suffering. How many of us don't get what we want? Irritation is suffering. Anger is suffering. It's uh, sometimes easier to dwell on the big things, but you know the vexations of our life. Uh, we often suffer disproportionately through the small. When large suffering is there, we are often on board, we feel we have no choice, we are able to find resources in ourselves that sometimes we never thought that we had. Sometimes our practice comes to life uh, in those situations. What's been dormant is suddenly available for us. Uh, but irritation, it's good to look at irritation. Nothing grand about it. 
when I'm playing gig at Habitué and uh, a punter comes in and sits next to the drummer with a drink and talks to him and they conduct a conversation while I am playing and while the bass player is playing. Um, is for me as profoundly irritating. This is not experimental music. There's nothing experimental about it. And I noticed how that irritation burns through the week, that how much has burned up in anticipation of that moment, which will probably never eventuate again. But uh, so often it's the small that catches us and won't let us go. Fear is suffering. Uh, Not being respected is suffering. Being ashamed is suffering. Uh, Being humiliated is suffering. The fear of being humiliated is suffering. The deepening of the way is the taking on of those uh, aspects and uh, allowing them to be uh, what they are, seeing them for what they are, uh, being there for them. Sheng Yin says, the vexations are enlightenment. Now there's a challenge. The vexations are enlightenment. You might be enlightened by seeing the rising smoke of incense or hearing a bird call. But when the practice really gets going and you take on the vexations, are they it too? The great and beautiful secret of meditation practice, this is Norman Fisher's words, Uh, is this. You can experience dukkha or suffering with equanimity. He says, isn't equanimity the secret of happiness? I've been touting the line engrossment as the secret of happiness, being intimate. But uh, he expresses uh, equanimity. If you can receive dukkha with a measure of equanimity, then in a way it's no longer dukkha or suffering. Very important, in the four Brahma Viharas, equanimity is strongly associated with the experience of emptiness. Uh, When you experience that openness, uh, the seams of your life are let out. Uh, you are not so constrained, uh, even by your vexations. We find that our suffering can be held lightly. Even. So just this breathing in, just this breathing out, uh, just these distractions which are no distractions at all. Dukkha, suffering, is a basic fact of our lives. When we are dying, our whole lifetime habit of denying dukkha or suffering will end. And at the same time, dukkha will become inescapable. 
one way or the other we're going to have to grapple with it. So it's good to get a head start on this. Sazenkai is a head start. Being there for the pain in your heart, aching knees, tiredness. Each in their own way, precious. Even the voices from the memories from the past, those things that return uh, to haunt us, uh, are also the matter itself. In the early stages we let go of memory, but in the very, very deep sense uh, our memories are also it. I remember being at Tony and Julie Coote's place and uh, sitting there at night and watching the ripples uh, spread out. Uh, it's like the strike of the bell, the ripples spreading from fig tree bridge to the mud-encrusted eucalyptus shore. Even that memory uh, is it. With the story uh, of the ghost on the Kokoda track. Uh, save me, Bill! <laughs> if you can't be saved by that, you could be saved by the wedding. Okay. It's all available. You have a choice. Save me, Bill, gathers us all in. Uh, we are no other than it. It is no other than us. Uh, that is true saving that is truly being saved. There is nowhere else to look.